All right, good morning. So this morning, uh, we're going to pick up from last week. We went to Mark 6, and we talked about whether Jesus is offensive and whether or not we should be as followers of Jesus. This week, we're going to talk about Jesus for the many and for the few. And picking up from Mark 6, we're going to get into the second part of that. So let's read, I'll pray, and then we'll begin. Jay? So we'll read from verses 30 to 51, starting with verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to a mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when, he saw him, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help to speak through me this morning. Help us to see about your compassion for the many and for the few. And I pray that in some way, your glory would be shown in us, that we would be changed just a little bit more to be like you. Jesus, I pray that you would use me, use my weariness, use all of my frailties um, to convey your truth. May you be strong in me as I speak. Lord, I ask this in your name. Amen. 
so the disciples, if you remember, they're returning from the task that Jesus had given them, right? He told them to go into the towns, preaching about the kingdom of heaven, and to repent. And so we pick up here, and they're reporting back to Jesus everything that they had seen, all that they had taught, right? Jesus, knowing that they were weary, asked them to come away for a while. And that makes sense because if they had been gone out into the city all day doing service, doing ministry, uh, they would have been tired. Jesus understands this. He knows this and says, let's go away to a place so that we can rest, that I can spend that time with you that I need. And so they're in a boat floating leisurely across one bend of the lake to the other. And that's where the scene happens. This is where we pick it up. They come to the other side and a massive crowd appears. Apparently, they have heard of Jesus throughout the surrounding countryside. Uh, It's known that even the the king of the land has heard of the name of Jesus, and so they gather. They could have seen him from the water. We're not sure, but we know that as they get wind of this, they head over to where Jesus was going to be. And here is where we see Jesus' compassion for the many. In verse 34, Mark writes, When he went ashore, he saw the great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And the word compassion here is interesting because it's only ever used by Jesus or to refer to Jesus. In all of the gospel accounts, we only see that in the context of who Jesus is. And it speaks of this idea of pity, a sorrow that's caused by understanding the misfortune or the sufferings of others. And this points to Jesus not just as being fully divine and a miracle worker that we'll see here in this passage, but it also points to him being human. The fact that he knows what it is to suffer. In his humanity, he feels the weight of the suffering of others. And so Mark goes out of his way to highlight this in instances where Jesus identifies with human suffering. He understands what it's like to be us. He's acquainted with all of our sufferings. How comforting is it to know that Jesus feels sorrow in our, of our misfortunes and our suffering? It's been proven that we tend to care more for people that we know more about, Right? If you think about stories that we read or that we see uh, in movies, we tend to like really pull for the characters that really tell the backstory. It's interesting with Jesus because the beauty of it is that he knows all of our stories. He's intimately acquainted with all of us. And sometimes we wonder whether we're alone. Sometimes we feel as though nobody gets us. We're kind of living this life and we're isolated Nobody knows what we're going through. It's comforting to know that Jesus is with us. He understands, as a suffering servant, what it is like to suffer. He's acquainted with all of our frailties because he knows us personally and individually. So this sorrow that Jesus feels is brought on because it says that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus himself says that. And it's much more than a physical lostness, right? It's not like they're in this desolate land and they're wandering around in the dark. It's it's this idea of the spiritual lostness. They have no spiritual authority, no spiritual leader 
to lead them. And so they're lost in every sense of the word. They lacked a leader that could share with them spiritual things. And then you ask, how could this happen? Because if you're a Jew back in the day, you comprised many different groups of people. You had Pharisees, which is one group. You had Sadducees. You had Zealots. You had Essenes. All of these are ethnically Jew and all equally lost. How can that be? And so what Mark is doing here, he's alluding to this same language that is used in the Old Testament. When Jesus is speaking forth about the sheep without a shepherd, it's alluding to a passage in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel, this prophet is speaking of the leaders of the day. He's talking to priests and he's saying, what is going to happen to them? That they were about to incur God's judgment because they had left Israel as a sheep without a shepherd. They were not properly feeding their sheep They were not feeding them spiritual things. The things that they needed to know, the priests were neglecting them. And so, interestingly, the prophet also writes in the same passage in Jeremiah 34, or Ezekiel 34, he says that a shepherd is coming in the line of David. He will come to feed the sheep of Israel. And here we have this scene amongst this crowd of people. Somebody in the line of David the true shepherd, the good shepherd who is feeding his sheep with a spiritual authority that none of these other Jews of the day had. So he's teaching them many things. And then as the day wanes, it's becoming dark. So the disciples come to Jesus and naturally they're thinking, um, we need to kind of get out of this situation. We need to make sure that they're cared for, but also this is a desolate place and it's getting late. So we should send them away. But Jesus' compassion extends beyond just their spiritual need to their physical need. Jesus is not just caring about the crowd in terms of, I've taught them spiritual things, now it's time to go. He's actually caring about their physical need as well. And so he turns to the disciples and tells them to give them something to eat. Startled, the disciples come back to him and say, with a hint of kind of sarcasm, a hint of disrespect, that should they uh, spend what's the equivalent of eight months worth to be able to feed people in one night. Jesus tells them to turn over what they have. Whatever you have, give to me. What, what do you have? And they say five loaves, two fish. And then he has everyone sit down in groups on the green grass. All of these sheep with the shepherd in want of food, made to lie down in green grass. Maybe you've heard of this somewhere in the Old Testament. It evokes this imagery of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. So Jesus is conjuring up this image that we see all throughout the Old Testament to reveal a little something of who he is. So he takes the bread, he gives thanks to the Father, and then he breaks it. And then he takes the fish and divides it, and he gives it to the disciples to serve. And Mark writes that they all, all 5,000 were able to eat and they're satisfied. And this wasn't merely a snack to hold them over, as so many of us are accustomed to having. 
just have a snack and then dinner later. These people, Mark says, were satisfied. And it brings this language of fullness. And so they were satisfied. How? It was Jesus. He is the miracle worker and he serves up this the miraculous in this expression of his compassion, not just for the needs of people spiritually, but also physically. And so just so we don't miss the extraordinary nature of this miracle, Mark goes out to point out that this is not just a mere happenstance, that he actually feeds 5,000 men. And he says it, 5,000. And that's not taken into account the, men and chi- the women and children that would have been there which many scholars estimate could have been anywhere between 8,000 in total to to 10,000 if you count the men, women, and children. All of which were satisfied simply because Jesus' compassion for them. The church sometimes um, has often used the language of caring for the lost, right? And it's usually meant one of two things. For more liberal Christians, progressive Christians, it's usually meant to mean that this true expression of compassion is care for the bodies of individuals, that we should care for them, we should feed the hungry, we should clothe those that are, in, that are poor. And then for more conservative qu- Christians, what it's meant is that this same statement of, of caring for the lost is meant caring for the eternal souls. So let's just preach the gospel. So you have left wing that says we should care for them, tangibly feed them, clothe them, and then you have the right conservatives who say, no, we actually got to preach to them. What good is it just to care for them if we don't preach to them? And these folks are saying, preach to them. And isn't it interesting that while we should knock one each other, Jesus cares for all of them. Jesus cares for both, the physical and the spiritual. He cares for the lost then, and he cares for the lost now. He cares for their present physical state and their future eternity of their souls. And as followers, we have to make sure that as we care for people holistically, we take into account the fact that their greatest need is to be rescued. Their greatest need is to be reconciled to God. But at the same time, we can't neglect their immediate need, which is food, clothing, shelter, a hug, a smile, a listening ear. So I want to encourage you with this. Jesus cares more about your family members, more about your neighbors, more about your co-workers, more about your students than you do. Jesus has far more compassion for them And his desire is to connect us with this compassionate father so that we can extend that same compassion to others. As we connect with the father through Jesus, we connect to others with the same compassion that the father has for us. So you get a sense from this first scene that Jesus is wanting to do something more than just provide for the many. And it's this interesting underlining theme that happens with these disciples. Think about it. So the 12 just come back from preaching into the towns, what we talked about last week. Obviously, they're tired. 
Jesus comes, oh, let's rest a while. But that little while isn't too much of a while because they get to the other side and now you have about 10,000 people that you need to care for. Imagine if you were a disciple and you were Snapchatting that all day. What did that look like? And you can imagine where the disciples are at at this point. So what they say, like, Jesus, let's just send them away. Tired. We're in a desolate place. It's late. They need to eat. We're tired. We don't have that much money. And now after all that, he tells them to go to the other side. They feed them. Everyone's satisfied. Go to the other side to Bethsaida. And they find themselves in the dead of night trying hard to row against these northeasterly winds. What kind of a day? Like, what, what is Jesus thinking? What, what is Jesus seeking to do? In both instances, Jesus must have known that disciples and what they were up against. Surely he would have known the short time that they were going to spend debriefing that experience before they hit the crowd. Surely he knew what the night awaited for them when they hit the lake. Why would he put them in these predicaments? What was Jesus trying to teach them? And what might Jesus be trying to teach us as his disciples? So you take the feeding of the 5,000, for instance. After all have eaten and were satisfied, the disciples picked up the basketful of the loaves left over. Remember how many there were? There, there were? Twelve. Twelve basketful. One for each of them. Almost as if to show them that Jesus' feeding of the crowd wasn't just an expression of his compassion for the many. It was also for his followers, the few. After Jesus has satisfied everyone with his compassion, there is still just as much if not more compassion for his disciples. Jesus doesn't just care about the people he's using you to reach. He cares about you. He cares about me, and he cares deeply for us. Oftentimes I've seen in others, and mainly in my own life, where my service for God assumes my standing with God is good. If I just work hard enough for God, then maybe I'll get some brownie points with him. And it's others that need, God, that, that need God's compassion. And if we're not careful, we can burn ourselves out, forgetting that the same gospel we're trying to live out in front of others, we need just as much. So Jesus comes to them in the dark of night on the water. Jesus, ruler of the heavens and all things on the earth, is walking to them on top of water. This is not a precipice that is holding his weight underneath waves. He is walking literally on water. Water, Jesus' feet. That's it. And he intends to pass by them. And the language that's used here is really interesting because every time in the Old Testament you see of God passing by, it's always to show his glory. You see this in Moses. Uh, God is trying to pass by Moses, famous character in the Old Testament. He says, I'll let you see my back, and, and as you do that, you will behold my glory. He does the same thing for this prophet Elijah in the Old Testament. He says, I'll, I'll pass by you, and you'll see my glory. 
The beauty of Jesus is that instead of seeing this, this glory in this mysterious figure, we actually see a person. The glory is beheld in this person, Jesus, who comes to us. And sometimes it's hard to gather that. The disciples didn't get it at first. They thought it was a ghost as he came to them. And what does Jesus say? Take heart. It is I. He's identifying there with the same identification that God used in the Old Testament. Almost as if to say, if you ever doubted who Jesus was, or or Jesus couldn't really be fully divine. The, The interesting thing about the claims of Jesus is that the claims he makes are unlike any other religious guru. He claims to be the self-titled I am that I am, the Yahweh of the Hebrews, the, the one true God. Buddha never claimed to do that. Muhammad never claimed to do that. And then as he gets into the boat, everything ceases. The circumstances aren't as dire as what we have seen before in Mark 4, but the significance is just the same. Our God, Yahweh, could bring order to chaos, and he could bring calamity to a standstill. That is what Jesus does. And these 12 men here, they've been on rough seas, they've faced massive crowds, and now this undercurrent encounter God, the one true God, in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, right here in this story. And it's interesting that it's in these moments where the disciples at the, at the end of themselves, they've been rowing. It's the third watch of the night between three and six in the a.m., right? And just before that, they had given all of themselves throughout the day, had barely anything to give this crowd of people. They were at the end of themselves. It's here that Jesus shows that he is limitless and without any barriers, The disciples were confronted with their own insufficiencies and learn about the, f- the sufficiency of Jesus. And that's what Jesus does. He delights to show his disciples all of his sufficiency. He delights to show us who he really is. But oftentimes, that comes when we are brought low. It comes when, when we're in the midst of difficult times, when it's difficult for us to see clearly, Jesus is revealing little snippets and sound bites of who he is. And he's showing his compassion, not just for the many, but for the few. For us. This week, it was interesting in our 117 group. Uh, we came upon our chapter that we were reading in the book, chapter 5, right? And we talked about, and we had dealt with this idea of having the faith of a servant and yet not having the faith of a son. And I don't know why, but that just struck me, right? So a son sees the father and runs to him like a child to his father's arms when he returns home from work. A servant looks to his master to give him what he needs to carry out the task. And it just did something for me because if I'm honest, so often in ministry, in service to others, I look to God as my master. I pray to him like such that he would give me exactly what I need to pour into people so that I can put food on the table, 
but I never really came to God as Father. I never really saw him like that. And I know I had at one point, but I didn't quite get it until this week. And this week was an interesting week. We, we had a pretty busy week, my wife and I. And it was interesting that I could see God and come to God as Father, even in the midst of all of this. That Jesus wants to show his compassion to me was big. Not just the ones that I serve. Jesus wanted to show his compassion to me. And I realized that this has got to be a constant thing. That we constantly think about the compassion that Jesus has for us. Not just for the many, but for us, for the few. And as we do that, we start to embrace that. That we're not just servants, but we're also sons. The disciples, they didn't quite get it. If we look at the end of that passage, what happens is Mark writes that they were astounded. They were amazed by what they had seen. But even more astonishing is the fact that Jesus was trying to teach them something of himself, and it didn't quite register with them. Their hearts were hardened, Mark says. And it could have been because they were exhausted. Imagine what kind of day that had been. I've never had a ministry day like that in my life. I can imagine what it was like for them. Either they felt left out, God caring so much for the crowd and so little time spent with them. Whatever it was, they missed it. They, met, they missed what Jesus was trying to teach them. And they didn't quite connect the loaves of the f- in the fish with this idea of Jesus himself walking on water. They couldn't connect with who it was that they encountered in the boat. If you're here this morning and you find yourself missing out on what you believe God is trying to show you because you're distracted, partly because maybe you're not interested, I want you to be encouraged by this truth. Jesus is more compassionate towards you than you are indifferent towards him. His compassion trumps your indifference. His compassion wins. And it's this compassion that Jesus has and it reveals the very heart of God as a compassionate God. And the full expression of this compassion is that the Father would display this compassion fully on the cross where God's love was poured out for all of us, that God took pity on us And he proved it by becoming one of us, by identifying with us in the person of Jesus. And that he would be tempted in every way like us. But he was perfect. He was without sin. He overcame on our behalf. And the scripture says that he is acquainted with all of our suffering. So he knows what it's like to go through what we go through. And on the cross, Jesus took our place and suffered the due penalty for our rebellion, our indifference towards God, and our indifference towards others. Jesus paid for that. And now that compassion moves us to be compassionate towards others who are lost and are like sheep without a shepherd. As we've talked about uh, famous historical figures within the African-American community this week, I think when we talk about compassion, I think we point to somebody that I know or I believe really knows compassion, Harriet Tubman. Maybe you've heard of her. Harriet Tubman understood compassion. In Christian language, we often talk about being in bondage, right? 
and being delivered, yearning to be free. Well, she was in very literal bondage as a slave. She grew up in slavery in Maryland. She was illiterate as a child, but her mother would teach her Bible stories. And so as she was teaching, she really, really resonated with this idea of the promised land that's told in the Old Testament. And she wanted that. The promised land for her was the north. Because if she, just, if she could just make it to the northern states, legally she would be declared free. And so when she was 27 years of age, she decided to go out for the promised land. And she went. She left her home and she found her way to Pennsylvania. And then something happened. When she found freedom, she noticed that she was almost like a stranger in a strange land. Didn't know the people, nobody knew her. But something within her was compelled to do something for those that she had left behind. Her being a slave, she, underst she understands what others are going through. She took pity at the, misfortune, at the misfortunes and the sufferings of others, even though at that point she herself was free. And so she went back. First she freed her family members, her brothers, parents, her niece, and then over many different rescue operations through this underground network that they now famous, famously call the Underground Railroad. She would deliver and rescue 70 others into freedom. And then in serving World War II, she would free about 1,300 others. And so we look back at her life and see one of compassion. She's quoted as famously saying, I freed a thousand slaves and I could have freed a thousand more if they only knew that they were slaves. She had taken pity on them, understanding full well what it is to be a slave. That's the compassion of God moved and played out in real time. And it's stuff that we read about. It's stuff that resonates within us. And these are the historical figures that, we, that are written about. I'm not sure where you are this morning. I'm not sure if you're coming in and you're feeling as though I'm trying to reach all these people. But Jesus, I just need to let you, I just need to know that you're there. I need to know that you have compassion on me. Maybe you're here and you're just overcome with indifference. Like, I want to reach my neighbors, but I just find myself so indifferent. We're going to have a time where we'll get up in circles and I'm going to ask you a couple questions about that for us to pray. But if we can have the worship team come up now and lead us in song, I'll pray for us. We'll worship. And then as we do every Sunday, we get together in prayer circles. And I want to spend some time praying over that. Are you in need of Jesus' compassion this morning? Do you need to see God and have the faith of a son and not the faith of a servant? And do you need compassion towards others? Do you find yourself overcome with indifference? And the beauty of that is God's compassion is greater than your indifference. And God's compassion wins out every time. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your compassion, not just for the crowds and the communities and Hollandale and Hollywood, but also for us here gathered in this room. 
I pray that that in some way it's made real for us. That we're able to hear from you, run to you, cling to you, and connect to your compassionate heart. And I pray that that would ever so change us to be compassionate towards others. Would you have your way in us this morning? We ask by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. God is mine.